Um, if this is your first time here with us, we're kind of toward, working toward the tail end of a series that we're just walking through the book of 1 John. Uh, we will finish that up at the end of August, and we will be done with that and moving on to some other series that I, I hope you'll be here for because they're going to be awesome. Uh, but we are in 1 John 5 right now, and we've been talking through 1 John in, for a couple of different reasons, and, and one of them is for those of us in this room that find the Bible a little bit big, a little bit intimidating, a little bit hard to figure out how to get started studying it, this might be a way to do that. We've been trying to kind of model that, going verse by verse, and occasionally I'll ask you to write something down in your Bible, to underline something and write something out in the margin that has to do with that word. Just so when you come back to this in weeks, months, years, whatever, you won't wonder, why did I underline that, that word? But you've got something in the margin. Uh, there that would help you to understand why you did that. We've also been challenging you to memorize Scripture. Um, we do that for the very reason that when we are in the midst of temptation, when we're in the midst of struggle, when we are listening to and hearing all these philosophies and the multiple truths that are being presented in the world out there, we can tell if they're from God or they're not. And the way that that works and, and is helpful to us is when the Holy Spirit has the Word of God in your heart to bring up, to bring to your attention, and it helps you to make those decisions. So memorizing Scripture is a big deal. We've challenged you to memorize the first chapter of 1 John, which is 10 verses, and uh, I hope you're doing well with that. Um, I've got it memorized. I say it every day at home, and it works really great, so I'm not going to say it here because I will totally mess it up. Uh, I, I will, and uh, I will say it for you before we're done, before in August, I promise that. Um, but uh, when I start saying it in front of people, I get like nervous. It's like, it's like, I don't know. But I just have a question for you. Do you guys remember the day, I'm sure you do, when you were finally done with school? You either graduated from high school, if that's where you stopped, or you graduated from college or a master's degree or a doctorate or whatever, however far you went. Do you remember that day? And... Uh, what were some of the thoughts that were going through your mind during that? It's like, <laughs> yay, right? I mean, it's like <laughs> I get a whole bunch of my day back, right? You get a whole bunch of time back. Um, how many of you remember thinking no more tests? And that just no more studying, cramming for tests. I don't have to have tests anymore. But has that really been true? <laughs> Isn't life like a bunch of tests? It just is. There, there's character tests. There's tests of our character. There's tests, tests of our spousal skills as being a husband or a wife. There's, there's tests of our parenting skills. There's tests of our patience. That's a big one. <laughs> I flunk that a lot. There's tests of physical endurance. You know, you may be trying to start running and you, you realize that's quite the test or you, you're working out or doing something like that. Tests of physical endurance or driver's license tests. We love those. You know, there's those going on and there's tests of our faith. You know, we have tests of our faith that happen all the time. And the one thing that's different about those, though, is a test of our faith is not designed to make you fail. A test of our faith is not designed to make you fail, but rather it's, it's designed to bring you assurance. A test of our faith is designed to bring you assurance that God is there that he knows the situation, that your faith is in him, and it's going to be okay in some way or another. In the plan of God, it will be okay. So it's not designed to make you fail. 
is to reveal the genuineness, the reality of your faith, of your salvation. And that's why John wrote this, this letter, 1 John. He says that in 1 John. He said in 1 John 5, 13, he says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. That's why I'm writing this. Not to make you fail, but to make you see that as a believer in Christ, you have that eternal life. So today we're finally into chapter 5, the last chapter of 1 John, and we're going to look at the first five verses of that. So let's just read those together. It says, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. In fact, this is love for God, to keep his commands. And his commands are not burdensome, for everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Okay, so I mean, he's, he's he hits this so much in this in this letter, and he's going back again to what is it to believe in Jesus, and it's to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the chosen one, the Son of the Living God. And remember, earlier in First John, he talked about that too as one way to distinguish an antichrist from a true believer. The antichrist or an unbeliever will deny that Jesus is the Christ in some way or shape or form. Will water that down will not make that a truth. But for those born of God, if we believe Jesus is the Christ, the promised one, we are born of God. And so John is bringing that home again. So really in these verses, we see several tests that are going on. And, and the first one is a test of faith. If we just look at the first part of that first verse, verse one, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Okay, so we're gonna look at a couple of words in there, believes, and born. Believes is in present tense, which means it's going to go on into the future. We have not believed and then stopped. We believe and keep believing. Okay? And I want to make it clear, we keep believing not to keep our salvation. We, we have saving faith, but we believe in order to be true to God, to love God, and to obey His commands. We continue to believe. When all around us is falling apart, we believe. When we can't see the hand of God, we believe. When we don't know what the future holds, we can't even see beyond today, we believe. And so that's the nature of this world. So what I want you to do, if you're writing in your Bible, is to underline believes and write ongoing or perpetual, a word like that out in the margin. Just to remind ourselves that believes is ongoing. We're called to ongoing belief in the power and presence of God. And then the other word in there, that everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Born is a perfect tense verb, meaning it happened in the past and it's still true today. It happened in the past, it's still true today. So everyone who believes and keeps believing that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God and continues to be born of God today. So underline born and write past action true today. Past action true today in the margin. 
Now, I want to be really, really clear here. We talk about saving faith. We talk about that, and that's okay. But I want us to understand that what saves us is God. What saves us is God and His work through His Son on the cross. That's what saves us. Faith doesn't do the actual work. When we believe, that work is credited to us. Okay, but we didn't do that by believing. Faith didn't do the work. God did. And so uh, salvation isn't caused by believing. It's credited by believing. But it's the grace of God, and it's revealed in our faith. If we look at Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, it kind of bears this out. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. And what I want to just, just make clear here, in this verse, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ, is, that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, the believing doesn't make the born of God. The believing gets that credited to us. God provided the way. Don't believe that the sinner's prayer, that prayer we pray when we give our lives to Jesus Christ and, and realize that we're a sinner without hope, that prayer did not do the work of saving you. That prayer simply acknowledged, God, you did the work of saving me, and I need you. I need that in my life. Okay? God did the work. So that's the test of faith. <clears throat> then if we pick it up right after that in verse 1 and going into verse 2, 1 John 5, the second half of verse 1 into 2, it says, so, so everyone that believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and then we pick it up. And everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God, we, by loving God and carrying out his commands. So the question for us, do you love God's children? Do you love the brothers and sisters in Christ? John is hitting this really, really hard in 1 John. He's, he said this over and over and over again. He's talking about love so much. Loving God, loving each other, how our faith is revealed in that love. But one more time, he's saying it here. If you love God, you're going to love his kids. If you love God, you're going to love his kids, the brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, the word there for love and loving if you have that in your translations, the word for love and loving is this verb we've talked about before, agape. Agape, the root word is agape, which means unconditional, sacrificial, perpetual love, right? It does not end. It is unconditional. It's the self-sacrificial love that's persistent. It does not quit. And that's a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit in us because we have no human equivalent to that. As human beings, we really don't love to that extent by nature. So it's the Holy Spirit within us that even enables us to love that way. And remember, I mean, just, just to remember this, circle love and loving in your book, in your, in your Bible, the book. <laughs> circle love and loving the three times it occurs, and then write persistent sacrificial love out in the margin. Persistent sacrificial love love. When you come back to this, you'll see those words, love, which can mean so many things to us. It can mean brotherly love. It can mean romantic love. It can mean, you know, like, I love my dog or whatever that is, but that's not the love here. It's that persistent, sacrificial love. In fact, this love is so important, it's part of the great commandment. Right? When, when Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? He said in Mark 12, 20 to 21, 
Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. But do you see Jesus corroborating exactly what John wrote here? John is writing this because Jesus taught him that, that we love God by loving his kids. So we love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then we love our neighbor as ourselves. So out in the margin there, write Mark 12, 20 to 21, next to where you're circling love and loving, just as a cross-reference. John is teaching this. Jesus taught it before that. So to say we love God, when we say that we love God, what we're actually doing is we're asking a question there of ourselves. Is God supreme enough? Is God supreme over every other desire in my life? So when we flippantly say, I love God, when we sing it, we're saying a lot. The test for us is God supreme over every, over every other desire in our life. That's what we have to consider. Remember, Jesus hit this home with Peter. Remember when uh, Peter was asked three times, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? <laughs> Jesus, you know I love you. Feed my sheep, feed my lambs, feed my sheep. He's teaching Peter that lesson as well. So this test of love, this, this, this love is, is incredibly important. Do you love me? Then do what I say. Then, be, then put me above all other desires in your life. That's what we're saying. And then we move on to the second half of verse 2 and into verse 3, the test of obedience. Okay, so we come back, we come back in here. We had just said, um, this is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out His commands. And then, in fact, this is love for God, to keep His commands. And His commands are not burdensome. His commands are not burdensome. The first thing I want us to notice here, it says, by loving God and carrying out His commands. You see, and. <laughs> That's a real important word. And is there. Loving God and obeying His commands are, are not separable. They're inseparable. They're a package deal. Loving God and obeying His commands. You want to know if you love God? Then ask yourself if you're obedient and living out His commands. That, it's that simple right here. It's that simple. You want to know if you love God, do you obey Him? For a lot of us, that's an ouch. For all of us, it's an ouch at some time or another. I mean, right? That's tough. That stuff has never said it would be easy. But then again, this is saying that His commands are not burdensome. So we're going to talk about that too here in a minute. We love God. We do. We love God. And there's affection in that, but that affection for God is demonstrated in our obedience. That's how we see it. That's how that it, we can be reassured by that. We see that obedience in our lives. Now, the, the words carrying out, okay, by loving God and carrying out His commands, the word carrying out literally means obey. So if you want to underline carrying out and write obey out in the margin, that's exactly what this word is saying. And keep, 
Okay, when, later in this, in this uh, reading. In fact, this is love for God to keep his commands. The word keep has the idea of protecting, guarding. Okay, not just doing, but protecting and guarding them and treasuring them. You know, they're, they're precious. And so it has that, that, uh, that kind of a, a connotation to it. So an action here is to underline keep and write protect and guard in the margin. Protect and guard in the margin. Diligent, diligent care is taken to obey those commands. Diligent care. So you get the feeling here, right, that, that <laughs> obeying is not just outward conformity to something. There's also an attitude of the heart there. There's, there's this, this idea of, their, of the commands not being burdensome and, in fact, being fulfilling and joy-giving and life-giving and delightful to us as we grow, as we mature in Christ, as we love God more, know Him more. His commands become delightful to us, not burdensome. There's two questions to ask yourself here. Do I intentionally seek to obey God's word? And do I desire to obey God's commands because I want to please him? How easy is it, folks, to put these things on the level of doing the dishes or taking out the trash? It's easy, right, to just kind of think of them in the same way. I've got to get this done today. I've got to check this off. I've got to read my word. I've got to talk to my neighbor because God's telling me to. And then I check. I got that done. Whew, that was awkward. You know, whatever it might be, if we're looking at them that way, we have growth yet to do. And I, I'm talking about me. I, I mean, a lot of times they slip into that thing for me as well. A lot of times. I've got growth to do there. To where they become delightful and joy-giving joy and life-giving and, 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 and fulfilling to me to do the thing I've been created to do. To do the thing you've been created to do, which is bring glory to God and to worship Him and to serve Him. That's what we're going for here. If we, if we look at Psalm 119, this is a psalm just full of delight. Okay, there's three verses here I just want to pull out. You can read all of Psalm 119 and find so much of this. But in verse 16, it says, I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. In 35, it says, direct me in the path of our commands, for there I find delight. And in verse 47, for I delight in your commands... Because I love them. Man, that's what I want. That's what I want as an attitude toward that. So just in your word there where it says his commands are not burdensome, underline not burdensome and write Psalm 119 out in the margin. And below that, write delight. Write delight. These are just memory things that when you come back to this, you'll know why you did that. Right delight there. See, John's anticipating the question, and it's a question I think a lot of us have had, and that question is, is obedience a burden? And John is saying, no. It doesn't have to be. It shouldn't be. It isn't. But, like I said, man, I fall into that all the time, that obedience is a burden sometimes. There's things I'd rather do. I don't know. I, I don't know about you guys, but... Like, I'm lazy. I, I just am. I'm, I'm, I'm a lazy guy. If there's something fun to do, I'd rather do that. You know, I'm just being real with you. I, uh, it, it takes a lot to get me up out of my chair or from behind my computer and go and do something that I really ought to do. And uh, 
So I'm convicted by this, that, that we need to be people who know God so well that he, and we love him so much that doing what he wants us to do is delightful, is life-giving. Now, all of this, and we've talked about it really, it doesn't mean it's easy to obey. It doesn't mean that there's not a temptation to disobey that we encounter all the time. It doesn't mean that we'll never struggle to obey. But what it does mean that if you've received God's love as a child of God, if you are, if you are saved, if you've put your faith in Jesus Christ and God's work is credited to you, and if your love for God is then reflected back to him through obedience, okay? So if you love God and then through obedience, you're reflecting that love back to him, then what this means is that that obedience doesn't have to be heavy and oppressive and unjust and unfair. It doesn't have to be that. It can be non-burdensome in our lives. I mean, look at Matthew eleven twenty-eight to 30. Let's just read this. Jesus speaking again. And I'd almost say, take a deep breath, close your eyes if you want, and just hear these words and let Jesus' words minister to you right now. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Praise God. We all want that. We all want to know Jesus, know God that well. We all want to move into that place to where His commands are not burdensome. So, just to remind yourselves, you can write Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30 in the margin there under where you wrote Psalm 119 and delight. Just write it there. Jesus never intended the Christian walk to be mechanical or driven as, as, a, as a chore that we have to get done. It's supposed to be our life. It's supposed to be our lifestyle. So that's what we're all moving toward. Finally, disobedience. The test here is that we're doing it in God's power. We do it through the power of the Holy Spirit. So if we look at the fourth verse of 1 John 5, it says, For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. So all of us born of God, we've overcome the world. That's the power that we have to be obedient to God. That's the power that we have. Now, the Greek word here for everyone is pan, P-A-N, P-A-N. It means all of everything. It means totality. It doesn't just mean people, all people. And so the translation here of everyone isn't exactly accurate to what pan really means. All of everything is a better translation, direct translation from all. And I think John uses that here because he wants to emphasize it's not our power, it's not our strength that enables us to overcome because we don't have any power to conquer sin. We don't have any power to overcome the world. We're not the one who's doing the conquering. It's only by the power of the Holy Spirit working within us through faith in Jesus. 
So using all of everything kind of takes it away from the people zone and into the everything zone and sort of removes any temptation there might be for us to think we have the power to do that. That power comes from God through the Holy Spirit. And so you can underline everyone and just write pan, P-A-N, out in the margin. And you can write all of everything. All of everything out there. We still have to fight sin. We still have to delight in obedience. But John is saying that we do that through the power of God. Now, we look at victory here. The victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Victory and overcome have a root word here that, that, that they both have within them. And that is the Greek word Nike. N-I-K-E. So what a great choice was that for them, for their sporting goods, right? Victory, overcome. Nike is the Greek word behind those two words. So, and, and of the 33 times that word is used in the New Testament, 25 of them are in the writings of John. So he is big on this. To, to, he's not setting up any kind of special class of Christians. This is all of us. We are all victorious and we're all overcomers by being born of God by putting our faith in God, by loving God. The world here, when it says this is the victory that has overcome the world, we're not talking about people. We're not talking about the people of the world. We're talking about that system of belief Satan has set up within the world, which are all contrary to the truth of God. That's what we're talking about here. We have overcome the world. We're not overcoming people. We're overcoming the one behind all the false teaching in the world. I remember when we talked about spiritual warfare a long time ago. It's like we get sidetracked into people, right? I want to make all these people behave like I do as a Christian and stuff. That's, that delights Satan. That's wonderful because we're trying to treat symptoms instead of causes. Okay? And so <clears throat> this, this world here is that system of beliefs that's contrary to the truth of God. And so the way we overcome and the way that we're victorious is through our faith, which is our system of beliefs, God's truth, in the person and work of Jesus. That's how we overcome the world. He uses that verb, has overcome. The, the, the battle is over and finished, ultimately. All we have to do is believe it and walk in faith. Right? Yes. So John 16.33, look at that scripture. Over in the Gospel of John 16.33, Jesus says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So circle has overcome in verse 4 there, 1 John 4, 5, 4. Circle has overcome and write John 16.33. Because Jesus has overcome the world, we as believers overcome the world through our faith in Him. And finally, there's victory. There's victory in Jesus. Have victory. Look at 1 John 5, 5, our last verse today. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. So here John moves to the totality of everything and he moves it to a personal level. To, instead of to all the disciples, he's talking now to us. He's talking to you and he's talking to me. He's moving from God as the source of power for disciples to that personal experience of that power in our lives. Believes here again is in present tense, meaning believe and keep on believing. Believe and keep on believing. 
Don't stray from the truth. Not to keep your salvation, but to stay strong in the truth. Believe. Okay? It's a continual belief. That's what causes our continual victory. Okay? They're linked up. So it's something we actively do. We don't just sit around passively and wait for something to be overcome or wait for us to, well, eventually I'll conquer the world. I'll just wait right here. No, no. We actively believe and we, we act obediently according to our faith. So, circle believes in John 5, 1 John 5, 5. Circle believes and write continual belief. Again, just to underscore that, underscore that. Because that's really... It's an invitation for us to remember to hold on to truth. Because in the middle of battle, in the middle of some very convincing looking arguments that the, the, the enemy puts forward, we can lose faith in the truth of God. It, it happens. It's like, uh, I kind of see what they're saying. You know, where is God right now? What's happening? And we let go of it. This is a, this is a, a command, an encouragement to hold on. Hold on to the truth of God because Satan's going to throw some stuff at you out in the world. Okay, so hold on. So why don't we feel like overcomers? Why don't we feel like that more often? You know, I don't know. It could be because we don't actively choose to love God and to obey Him. Maybe we're bitter. Maybe we're praying to God and saying, God, why don't you deliver me? Would you please deliver me from, and the list, whatever it is, lust, greed, gossip, alcohol, whatever it might be. Or maybe you're praying, God, how does my love for you overcome my perceived need for these other things? Maybe we're doing that. Maybe we choose something other than loving God and obeying Him because we believe that'll satisfy us more in that moment and God will always forgive me, you know? So we choose something we think will, will um, satisfy us more in that moment knowing that God will forgive us, the temptation is there to do that. Sometimes we just grow weary in the battle. Sometimes we just grow tired. And if that's the case, we're not resting and abiding in Jesus. And instead, we're fighting in our own strength. We're fighting with our own strength. And, and we will falter if we do that. Let me, let me just give some practical examples how we can be victorious and overcome in this world. Situation. Maybe you or a loved one of yours has undergone a medical test. It could be fairly serious. Could be. <laughs> medical tests can take weeks to come back. What do we do in the meantime? Worry. Yep, we worry. We, we fret. We get anxious. We, we, we think of the worst things that it could be, and we let that involve our mind. Or maybe we, we just toss God out of the picture completely and we take it in our own hands by Googling everything that we can find about this condition and this test and preparing ourselves that way without God in our lives. So that's the temptation. The temptations here are worry and anxiety and an, and an attempt to push God out of the way by just learning all we can about this and going our way, what way seems best to us. It's not wrong to learn all about it, but what we do with that is key. So what should we believe in this moment to be victorious, to be an overcomer? First, we know we don't have to be anxious. We know God has said in his word, do not fear, do not be afraid, don't worry. Okay, so we can trust that. That's what this continual believing means. We can hold on to that. No matter what, we know God is good 
and God is loving. In fact, John in 1 John said, God, love comes from God, and not only that, but God is love. So we know that about God. We hold on to that and know that he's got this situation in, under control. We know that he cares and loves for us. And so we love him and we obey him in that moment. As hard as that is, as great as the temptation is to worry, we hold on to the truth that we're given in his word. Another situation. I don't know, guys, this may ring, ring true to you. I don't know, maybe ladies you can relate to. You've got something you've got to fix at the house, so you run out to Lowe's. You're just there for a little part and whatever. And you see this big, bright, shiny thing. <laughs> it's a wonderful thing. It's a thing you've always wished you had. So you go in there and you cannot pay for that. So you put it on the credit card and you buy it because you love that thing, whatever that thing is. And maybe been trying to decide how you keep it from your spouse because you know you're going to catch it if she finds out, he finds out, whatever. So you go and you do that. So what's the temptation here that causes that? Well, some of that is pride. It's like, I want that. Look what I've got. I'm going to buy that. Even though I can't afford that, I'm going to buy that thing. And seeking contentment, seeking happiness in stuff, in things that the world offers us. We just, I know if I bought that, I'd be really happy. But we all know how long that lasts, right? Until the first scratch, until it doesn't work anymore, until we get over it, you know, and then it's not as fulfilling as we thought it would be. So the temptation is to find our contentment and happiness through purchasing that thing. So what should we believe in this moment? First of all, we need to learn patience. We need to seek God's heart. God, show me what my needs really are. Okay, maybe we need to just understand what our needs really are. God doesn't say you can't ever have fun with something, but when the temptation is there and it's not God's heart for you to do something that puts you in financial stress, then we shouldn't do it. So learn patience. Save up for it if that's something you want to buy, and then buy it. By that time, they'll come out with a better one anyway. You know. It also, another thing that we have to do is depend on God for what we need. We depend on him for what we need, for him to show us what we need. I need to understand in this moment that the things of this world cannot complete me or make me lastingly joyful. Only Jesus can do that. And so we become victorious and overcomers when we put the stuff of the world in their proper place and priority. Okay? Finally, last scenario. You've... Obediently to God, you have gone out and you have shared your faith. You have told a friend about Jesus. You didn't, like, do it boldly or, like, you, you did it right. You, you shared it humbly and you shared it truthfully. To everything that God has given you to say, you said. And then that person laughs or that person ridicules you or that person just chooses not to believe it or that person then puts distance between the two of you. And you feel like that friendship got hurt. So what's the temptation here? I mean, there's a very real temptation to apologize. It's like, I'm sorry I talked about Jesus, okay? And try and make amends. There's a very real temptation here to um, abandon all attempts to share the good news of God in the future. It's like, I'm not going to go through that again. Temptation is to stick to safe subjects stuff you know you can talk to your friend about and everything is going to be good. 
And the temptation ultimately here is to put the approval of others over the approval of God, right? To, to make our friends comfortable with us and actually disobey God in the process. So what should we believe in this moment to be victorious and overcomers? First, we have to realize that as, as children of God, we have to please God rather than men. We must please God rather than men. If I love God, I will obey him. And when I say I love God, what am I asking? Is my love for him over every other desire in my life. So we have to put that in place. I could pray for that person that I, that I talked to. I could pray that they would, they would hear me. I could pray also that, they, that our relationship could be restored in some way. I can continue to reach out to that person. Even though they're trying to put distance to me, I can continue to be a friend to that person. And I can also realize that any time that I witness, the outcome is not up to me. I'm planting seeds. I'm planting seeds. I'm being obedient in planting seeds, and it's up to God. I mean, maybe there'll be five or six waterers who come along to water that seed before any fruit is seen. I don't know the outcome, and I have to relinquish that control to God. But I am obedient to Him in sharing my faith. And so in that way, I am victorious and I am an overcomer. There's a story of the Union Pacific Railroad when it was built between St. Louis and California. It had to go over a very large canyon. And so they built a bridge to get that train across there. The engineer who built the bridge and designed the bridge and had the, build, the bridge built wanted to test the bridge and make sure it was good and sturdy. And so the, he took a train and a lot of cars and he loaded them up with more weight than would ever go across that bridge. I mean, he just like far exceeded you know, expectations. He took the train out onto the bridge and he left it there for a day. One of the workers came up and said, what are you trying to do? You're gonna, you want to break that bridge? And he said, no. He said, I want to prove that the bridge is unbreakable. I want to prove that the bridge is unbreakable. And the fact is, you and I, we're never going to be done with tests that aren't searching for our breaking point. We're never going to be done with tests that maybe that Satan throws at us that looks for our breaking point. Okay? Tests of faith. What do you really believe about Jesus? Tests of love. Do you love God more than this? Tests of obedience. Will you obey God in the face of opposition or discomfort? Tests that are probing our breaking point. And our victory in Jesus, it's, it's simple but not easy. Our victory in Jesus comes when we declare by faith that Jesus is our Lord and we declare that we love God, which means we put Him above every other desire in our lives and we grow in delight in obeying his commands because we love him. Folks, that's the key to victory. That's the key to overcoming. It is that we keep on believing, holding on, and put our eyes by faith on God and obey him because we love him. Amen? Let's pray. Lord God, you call us to love you, and we do. We do, God. We, we, we love you. We, we are learning to love you. We, we love you as far as we can at this moment. And we know, God, there are places where 
where maybe our faith, our obedience, our commitment to you could break, could falter, and we pray for strength. We know ultimately, God, that the battle has been won. We know ultimately, God, that it's not in our strength. It's by your strength. The battle is won. The the resources are there if we only, God, just take a hold of them. So, Lord God, I pray that you will fill us with your spirit, that you will help us to realize the power that we have within us from you to be able to resist the lies of the enemy, to be able to be victorious and overcomers, God, because we love you and that love is reflected in our obedience to you. Thank you, God, for winning the battle. Thank you for your love. Thank you for the work you have done on our behalf on the cross through your Son. We love you. (laughs) We put you above every desire in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.